What's up, folks? Welcome to another week just to live life the rest of the show. Sincere Hogan, that's me. Got Mike Mahler on the other side. Sounds like you're over there rearranging furniture, man. Are you doing spring cleaning a little early? What is all that noise? Yeah, I'm going to try to get some cleaning done. Once our guest starts talking, I'm going to put, I'm going to put the <laughs> microphone on mute. Go run a couple errands. This guy, this guy likes to talk a lot, so I think I can get a lot of stuff done while he's on the show. Yeah, we have a guest who, we have a guest who was born in Vegas, but he moved to Miami. So really, not much has changed. There was there are drag queens here. There's more there. <laughs> Only difference is there's a beach there. He went from the Mandalay Bay Beach to Miami Beach. Not too much of a difference. But we have Pretty a legit much. supplement yeah. expert on the show. I've been following this guy's work for over 15 years, and I always like talking to people that have played many facets roles in the supplement industry. So without further ado, Vince Andrich, welcome. Great to have you. Welcome. Thanks for having me on, Mike. Sincere. Appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, I remember coming across your work when you wrote the Sports Supplement Review, fourth edition for EAS, and we were just talking about that before we started recording. And I'm curious, what holds up from what you recommended or what you thought was going to be useful back then? Well, there's some herbs that hold up. Um, for example, turmeric uh, holds up. And I think I told you in an email, uh, I don't even have a copy of that book anymore. So you might have to go through some <laughs> of them. But uh yeah, the, there's there's several things that I think hold up, a lot that don't. Uh, but um, with regard to the amino acids, we had talked about citrulline, um, 4-hydroxyisoleucine, which is an insulin promoter, has been used mm -hmm. in many, many products. Um, we talked about fiber and different types of fiber to reduce the glycemic index of carbohydrates, and you see that in bars like Quest, you know, did that whole thing with high-protein, high-fiber. Uh, you see, again, the turmeric and, and, and a lot of the herbal supplements that were, I think rhodiola was still in there. Uh, yeah. Some are just coming on the scene. I think the L-theanine was in there as well, and now we know it's combined with caffeine. It's great nootropic. You have right. better processing speed, and you have better focus, and um, it's a really cool supplement. Uh, I, a lot of the use cases weren't really there back in 2002, but now we're finding that some of them are going into the more of the vitamin, mineral, anti-stress. Um, and if you look for blood sugar regulation products, you'll, you will see 4-hydroxyacylucine, fenugreek, cinnamon, and things like that. There's a, there's a big focus on that in the book because the nitric oxide story was is related because um, some of the things that boost nitric oxide, these are the arginine um, and um, even a nerve called gentostema pentathylum, which is using cardiac work, um, right. it boosts nitric oxide, but at the same time, it lowers blood sugar. Hmm. And so there's, there's some, something going on there, and that's why when uh, MuscleTech had NitroTech, I, was, I think I wrote a piece in there that said, you know, be careful. If, if they really have... Uh, a nitric oxide nematic in there and a high protein dose and no carbs, it may not be good. And it, you, yeah, you wouldn't, wouldn't anything, or wouldn't anything that increases nitric oxide lower blood pressure, dilating the blood vessels, blood flow? Yeah, you can tell if it's actually doing something. And, and I think in the yeah. book, uh, Peter Miller was uh, in charge of R&D and we got this stuff from a study that uh, Dr. Boo um, gave this material to a, a surgeon. I would believe he was at the uh, Cleveland Clinic. And we actually reach out to him. He gets back and he goes, well, here's the guy that gave me the material. Talk to the guy. We got some. And we needed, both of us, when we stood up, we had to sit right back down. And we took less than we were told we could take. And we hmm. figured out his stuff works. You got to be careful. I mean, we were sitting back and forth going, how much could we really put in here? Um, because it works. And so, yeah, they use it in cardiac, uh, forget what, uh, what conditions, but it helps to increase nitric oxide, which is, of course, very important for cardiac health, uh, because of vasodilation, right? right? And it lowers the blood pressure. Yeah. So, <clears throat> yeah, but, um, but with arginine, going back to arginine, how effective is arginine for nitric oxide? It seems like it has very poor absorption, causes gut issues with a lot of people as well. 
Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I, I think it's a better amino acid just on its own, an, an additive, even though you're going to get it. But I think if you look at research on wound healing, which is a lot of the, you know, stuff you actually are trying to do when you weight train, trying to wreck yourself, yeah. um, right. it shows up to increase uh, protein synthesis and healing. Um, the mechanism may be because some other proteins are just lower in arginine. Um, uh, that was actually brought to my attention through Dr. Conley, who, you know, he, he didn't really like the nitric oxide stuff, but he said, you know, look, there's glutamine and arginine used in wound care. There's something here, but I don't know if it raises your nitric oxide levels based on the absorption you were just talking about, right? Yeah. You have to do a mass dose like they do. It, they say doing a mass dose with B12. That's why you see these B12 products are so high over the RDA. Right. It takes a lot to absorb a little. You right. don't need microgram amounts. But that's why you see these really super like 7,500 times the RDA. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, 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 it's a poor absorbed uh, vitamin. I mean, so for the wound heal with, with wound healing, would they be doing it intravenously, glutamine and arginine? I don't. I think there's been both. I think okay. it's been both, and um, so I think the um, I'd have to look at my database. But I was actually looking at that. It's been a while, but I was looking at that because you know you see that if you're looking for something to actually boost, you know, repair and recovery, yeah. you know, amino acid ratios are everything. That's why they score all these different proteins by, you know, PETA-CAS or PER or, uh, you know, protein efficiency or PETA-CAS is probably the most widely used now, protein digestible score. But, um, you know, one thing is, you know, it's interesting when you get into, and I'll go off-road here, but like you get into whey protein and one guy goes, well, well, you know, concentrate is not as good as an isolate and hydrolysis must be better. Sure, it's more refined, but if you don't have a lactose intolerant uh, gut, concentrate has more bioactive stuff in there. Not a whole lot, but they've been vacuumed out when you go to an isolate. And a hydrolysate has specific benefits. The original hydrolysate uh, uh, protein was developed uh, by um, actually a guy that was at Reader, for um before he was writing for Plex, but he basically gave it to the guys that own B Energy bars, the Protoway. Yeah. Yeah, right. So if you've seen their Protoway, which is, you know, enzymatic digestive protein, that guy, Kevin Lawrence, basically had a child um many years ago who was colicky. And Jeff had read research by Ross Labs about enzymatically digesting proteins so that they're super easy to digest. So it's basically pre digestive protein. Now, in the landscape of bodybuilding, does that do that much or weight training? There's one study by Lockwood that says that hydrolysis, um, you know, incur more of a fat loss deficit than the other whey protein. But my point was going to be the amino acid uh, ratios are almost identical. It's milk. It's whey, right? So right. people go, oh, this one must be better. But at the end of the day, it's the amino acid availability that does it all. So that's why we know now that leucine has to be at a certain level to do a certain activation, muscle protein synthesis. There's other aminos that do the same to a different mechanism, you know, to a different like pathway. But um, those are why you see maybe a little bit better results with dairy protein versus other proteins because it's higher in in leucine or BCAs, but primarily leucine. Um, yeah, leucine, leucine believer, activates leucine activates mTOR, right? Now, if you right. what happens if you take too much leucine though? Is that counterproductive? It is. It is because if instead of it being a rate limiting amino acid that you add in to increase the, the protein score, it becomes so abundant that the other amino acids can't keep up, and right. so you 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 get into this waste cycle. Like it's trying to make a some tissue or you know a protein. It's trying to make a protein whether it's muscle tissue, tissue, brain fluids, or whatever. And so what you wind up, you're putting a, a monkey wrench in the machinery of the amino acid assembly. 
it's like, wait a minute, I got way too much of this shit, so I'm spinning too fast. Right. I wind up knocking these off to get to the right ones, right? And and so it basically becomes detrimental, and that's why these companies with the eight one one, you know, eight to one and one, you know, BCA with eight times yeah. leucine, it, yeah. it's it is counterproductive. The best way to look at the leucine ratios is to what's in nature, and it's a two one one ratio, a two two one ratio rather. Uh, BCAs in in dairy protein, and if you're a vegan, uh, you can take um, a bottle of let's say whey protein, and um, I think I did it with I forget what bean and pea protein, because we were going to do it at at Quest where we're going to do protein combining, and maybe even add a, a you know a peptide digested amino or something that may or not have been at a, a, a decent level, and we say look this amino acid array, it, it, it mimics what nature gives in like animal protein. No animals. Right? Right. So, so a blend of pea protein, pumpkin seed protein, you just take a, a variety of different plant proteins and make a blend? Yeah, make a blend. I mean, there's another way you could, you could do it. I mean, I don't have stuff in front of me, but you, this is the exercise we did with um, uh, at, at Quest, which was, you know, you take the pea protein and you go, okay, well, where does this look weak compared to another protein? And and what will invariably happen is, a hundred grams of pea protein has a certain ascent, you know a certain ratio of each of the aminos, right? Uh, for example, um, beef protein is really it's lower in leucine and 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 st- and the BCAs rather than than milk or dairy, but it's high in hydroxyproline, proline. And some other factors that actually contribute to tendon strength, which yeah. seems to me why it makes you stronger when you eat some red meat. You see, you're getting these amino acids that aren't available in other foods. Right. Um, collagen protein has very little benefit for muscle building, but but connected tissue, absolutely. Yeah. Hair, nails, right? So when you start learning that the proteins are really just a combination of amino acids, you could start saying, I, I want this for this, right? I, like I want to protect my joints, so I take Knox gelatin. You know, I take other other supplements, but I I'm, I don't just rely on glucosamine or chondroitin or something like that. Um, I take grams of Knox gelatin because I know it has different amino acids. I'm not really getting in in, in a large amount through my other diet, my regular diet. So you could just take those amino acids in the same levels that are found there and get similar benefits is that where you're going yes okay so yeah that, that's because really see, th- that's where the triggers come in right why does this protein at this rate initiate this um this effect and because they they actually did the studies with leucine and essential amino acids they got the activation of protein synthesis which actually i don't know it was like 10 grams of protein or maybe 12 or something um, but then when they tried to ratchet up more leucine, the effect was lower. <laughs> so there's limits, right? You can't really fool yeah. Mother Nature or our systems yeah. that far, right? You can use it to activate processes, but if you go too far, you're going to catch the backside, which is, um, you know, the, the, the other reaction, which is basically trying to curb you from hurting yourself, right? Is for every reaction, there's always that backside, yeah. right? Well, that brings up an interesting discussion about branched chain amino acids because it's all the rage and it has been for a long time where people take 20 grams in the middle of a workout. They take pre and post very high dosages of branched chain amino acids. Is is it counterproductive at a certain point if you go past a certain dosage? Uh, I would say yes, and it's also – a. Uh, most likely not that beneficial if you're sipping them all throughout the day, if you're trying to remodel your body with less fat and more muscle. Yeah. The reason is, that, you know, you're going to turn those amino acids into sugar, energy. Right, right. Because there's only so much you can handle. So you're basically sipping on energy. And the, the way the labeling laws are, you don't have to list the branch chain aminos as any calories or protein right. on the label. Right. So people that go there are getting nothing. They think it's crystal light. But in, in there are studies that said it blunts fat loss because you're sipping on this stuff all day, right? You you are getting a metabolic effect from it. 
Um, yeah, it's it boosting your metabolism. Protein breakdown. Yeah. And there, but to be a, be a protein neogenesis, you're saying it can convert into carbohydrates and then affect you the way sugar would? Well, here's, here's part of the, the problem. Is, um, so you activate muscle protein synthesis. Okay? Right. That just turns the assembly line on. Then you have to have an, uh, an array of available amino acids to start building the materials that you took that protein for. Right. So right. just by turning the, so they go, well, look, X amount of leucine and BCAs will turn on muscle protein synthesis. Well, that's great. But what load of amino acids are coming behind that? If there's yeah. no load of aminos yeah. coming behind that, it's, it's not productive. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, a lot of times, so you just, <laughs> that's really interesting. <laughs> just you're just signaling. No, no, I mean, that makes a lot of sense though. You're signaling a lot of muscle, pro, you're signaling that the muscle building process to begin, but then you're not giving yourself the fuel to drive that process. So you're just missing out. But what about taking a full spectrum amino acid powder instead of BCAAs? Now you're getting all of the essential amino acids, all the amino acids that are involved in muscle building in some kind of powder. There's a couple brands out there. What about something like that? I, I I think that's a different story, and I think you're going to wind up getting um, some tissue building out of that or some proteins being built, you know, complete proteins, whether it's blood, skin, whatever. Um, but again, I don't – I would pull, uh, think of each time you drink one of these, either it's a shake yeah. or you have a meal, you do it's – it's, it's one pulse. So right. then I would space the pulses out because – the amplitude of the activation and the duration is everything. So just activating, and then if it peters out, like, oh, yeah, I got another four grams of aminos or eight, (laughs) yeah, great. It's better to spike it and actually have, like, 50 grams of protein, especially if you're older. Yeah. Yeah. Because then you have a steady stream. It's more like our ancestors ate, right? They ate a bigger one meal. So there's this giant... Amp, you know, amped up muscle protein synthesis, probably based right before a fast, which is even more beneficial. Right. Uh, and and then, you know, you get this, you know, they probably went to sleep with a belly full of meat or whatever, or whatever <laughs> they got. So, you know, that, that can be very useful. It's not that useful for uh, us living in an environment where you can just go, well, that was great. I just woke up in the middle of the night. I'm just going to eat some more food. You'll want right. to be fat. But but when you don't have things available to you, actually like, you know, intermittent fasting and, and one large meal could be extremely beneficial for, yeah. for both of the reasons. One is it's like a hormetic effect where you, you, your body isn't getting, so it's, it's resensitizing. Then when it gets the stuff, it really, you know, all the signals get amped up even further and then you shut it down and you give yourself a chance to rest and it's not processing food and all that. So. As I'm talking, as I'm off track, no, no, that's no. As I'm listening to you talk, and as I'm listening to what I said, when you're talking about all these amino acids and so forth, it seems seems like it's a distraction from actually just having a meal. You know, I mean, (laughs) let's 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 just have a protein. Exactly. You know, I mean, it's that we're going through all this complexity to try to get what we're going to get from food without eating. You know, what what, what, what do we just have a I mean, at the very least, let's just have a protein shake, right? Hey, guess what? Guess what else has a lot of amino acids? Protein powder. You know? so have right. Well, yeah. You know? Yeah. T- 20 grams of whey protein <laughs> winds up getting you about 5 grams of BCAs, uh, about right, 10 right. grams of essential aminos. And, you know, you're better off having 20 or 40 gram shake and then giving yourself more rest. Um, there are, you know, there are studies that, you know, there's, you know, where this meal patterning of like six meals and, that's great, but um, and I think that's really good for regimenting somebody who's really not used to being uh, having any kind of nutritional surveillance, right? They're they sure. they're just getting used to looking at stuff. I'm sure both of you guys can look at a bag of something and you go, "No, I'll never touch that." Or you go to a right, restaurant, right, and you go, ah, right. that doesn't look as good as they they said it was kind of clean. It's not really clean. So, right. um, so yeah, you know, getting someone into this patternized Meal patterning would be great. It would also be great to break someone out of all that, right? With carrying yeah. the food around and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, it's, there's a lot of freedom that comes with it. And, and, and when people ask me about dieting, I said, well, either if you can go on the 
have more of a regimented thing because your blood sugar gets low. Okay, you then try to go five or six times, you know, several of those are going to be a protein shake, right? Yeah. Um, and then, and then if not, then cut the meals down, allow yourself one big meal or, or two bigger meals, but fast. Because sometimes the flavors of food cause people to overeat no matter what they do. So yeah. by cutting out yeah. a meal time, it's easier to cut back on energy intake. Yeah. I think six meals a day is only going to work for a certain personality type. I like what you said about regimenting people, though, where now now they're regimenting how much meal, how much food they're having at each take. They're becoming more conscious of what they're eating. That makes a lot of sense. I think sustainability-wise, though, it becomes a real nuisance. I mean, I did it for a while, and I could understand where some of the benefits were with it. But you felt like your whole day revolved around it, it, each yeah. little fix. It felt like a job. It felt like yeah. you were, it's like your job was to eat. No, right. You have to have snacks with you at all times. And then you never really exactly. felt like you're satisfied either. You felt it's like going to the gas station and just putting a couple gallons in and then a couple a hours gas. later. Yeah, you pull over, you put a few more gallons in. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. But you never yeah, make it to your destination. Calling, yeah, you're, yeah exactly. you and your buddies have to go in to get a gallon of gas to get to the party. Yeah, I got you. You have to, exactly. you have to keep pulling was, over so you never get to where you want to go. You never really get there. You're spending yeah. so much time at the gas station. It's like, damn, man, weren't you here an hour ago? It's like, yeah, but I just went downtown. Now I got to come back. <laughs> also, you, also you never felt like, you, I mean, at least my experience is you never felt really satisfied. Like I like having a big meal. I, I mean, I don't do a full fast during the day, but I eat lighter during the day because I'm active. I'm getting stuff done. And then dinner time for me is feasting. I'll eat as much as I want. And I actually enjoy the experience of one creating a feast and then two enjoying a feast and eating it slowly and letting digestion optimize over the course of several hours. I'm not trying to, to eat five plates in 30 minutes like a lot of people do at a buffet. But my personality <laughs> right. time, I actually like that. I actually like that. And then it relaxes me for the rest of the evening because you just had that big meal. You're, I'm not bloated. I'm not lying on the couch taking a nap. But I'm in more of a relaxed state, letting the parasympathetic nervous system or sympathetic nervous system kick in. Or parasympathetic. I got it right the first time, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. No, I like that, too. I, You know, I... I've done the full regimen and I've done the, I was a vegan for several years. I didn't, I mean, I go back in Vegas. I, and my sister got me into going to the health food store still in high school. So, okay. yeah. uh, and this is her classic line when she says, you got to watch what you eat. She was, you know, she was second in Miss Nevada, 1983, by the way. She's a doctor now, but. Um, well, people, people she, watch, people watch it. That's for sure. No one has a problem watching what they're eating. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. They eat it too. <laughs> I'm just no, so, no, no, no. See, I said, you know, why the health food store? Cause I, you know, I look like a, I look like an alien, you know, 16 with a brown bag, you know, from general health food store. Right. Um, which no longer exists. Um, but she's like, well, there's a health food store and there's a death food store. You can pick. She's not like that anymore, but that's what gave me, I, I went into the sports nutrition and actually in the bodybuilding thing or working out uh -huh. more so from the health side, right? I want to learn right. how to make me myself healthier. And it was this whole, you know, if you go to the health food store, it can be really magical. If you, grocery stores now have a lot of the same stuff, but you first go in there, you're like, wait a minute, I didn't see this over there. They actually have fiber in the bread here. I, you know, back, it was like yeah. 77 for me, 78. You know, I was in, I was like a sophomore in high school and yeah, it was, but it, it, it was so good for me because I started learning how to read labels and all that. And you get a nutrition almanac and you start figuring out, you know, yeah. this is too calorically dense. I'm not going to eat that. <laughs> but anyway, um, the, uh, where were we? <laughs> I'm not sure where we were actually. We went oh, eating the big meal. Eating the big meal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, and I like that um, now, too. I have a bigger meal. I'll, I'll skip or and have a snack or whatever, and it's lighter because I like to just kind of be light on my feet in the day. But I, I, mean, I do I think, enjoy eating more, and then it's like yeah. I, my belly is full. But, no, I feel good, and um, yeah. I just get, I get the same result. <clears throat> well, I mean, you can eat more, too, if you're eating light during the day. I mean, I, I'm not eating a lot during the day and then having a huge dinner. I'm eating right. very I'm I'm eating during the day but it's not as much it's just maybe a protein yeah, a shake here, here some there. it's kind of kind of grazing yeah yeah exactly just nuts and seeds here just as as you feel you need something 
But then when it comes to dinner time, it's like, all right, the day's over, my workout's over, finished working, I'm going to relax now. So you're cooking up this beast, which I enjoy doing because it's, you start looking at what you're creating. You're like, okay, this is going to be good. You know, it gets your appetite going. And then you just the relax. Catch- oh, go ahead, Sincere. Oh, Sam, but the catch here is like when you're busy and you got things going on, you really don't have time to have that big meal. You know, when you're working and, you know, you're working on your business or you're out, you're actually walking That's the dogs. Right. If you're, you know, working out and, you know, when you're mixing all those things together, a big meal is not going to work. You know, so that's where it kind of makes that's sense right. where at the end of the day it's kind of like, okay, now I can have that big meal because actually you've earned that big meal. You've, you've actually worked up to that feast. You've done a lot of things, but a lot of people, you know, tend to do that throughout the day because a lot of times they're sitting in an office or sitting, you know, they're sitting in a cubicle or sitting in the cars or whatever else. So there's not a lot of activity going on. They're doing stuff, but they're not actually like putting in any action with that, any physical action. Right. You know, just, right. you know, you're sitting at you're working all day long, but you're sitting on your butt for eight, you know, eight, ten hours you know, in front of a computer. <laughs> right. You know, so, yeah, you're doing something. You're 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 in the business of busyness at that moment, but you're not exactly active. So it's real easy to get caught up and just sit there and you're grazed like, yeah, we just said we grazed throughout the day, you know, well, nuts and seeds or, you know, a little snack here, a protein bar or something like that. But they're grazing on chips and who knows whatever else. And they're not moving around with that stuff. That's right. There's a difference, you know, where it could be. It could probably help out a little bit more if they actually moved around, if they were just like snacking on some of that stuff that's not as healthy. You know, it just it would actually benefit them a little bit more. But they're in situations where, you know, they feel like, well, I'm sitting here, I'm going to be working all day and I'm going to end up missing lunch. So their version of eating five, six, seven, eight meals a day is just a bunch of snacks, you know, because that's all they had time for or made time for. That's right. where, that's where I think Vince is. No, go ahead, Vince. Go ahead. No, you're absolutely right. And, that, and, and it's unfortunate because then, especially if they don't bring any snacks in themselves and they're relying on the M&Ms in the, in the front, by the front desk or whatever the thing somebody brought in, right? Um, and the donuts, yeah, and, exactly. and, yeah, and so the lack of activity and the, the poor eating, whether it's grating or not, right, you, your me- metabolic systems are out of whack. So eating a large meal for them is not the same as for any of us. It's just not even close. Right. Uh, you know, we need those, you know, those, you know, and we're not, I'm sure you guys aren't just like going, oh, I didn't eat much today, so I can eat a bunch of garbage. Which has always kind of upset me. Uh, I mean, it's okay. I, 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 you need to eat and you need to enjoy it. But there's some people that are like, oh, you know, they won't eat anything or they say there's I haven't had a carb in a week. And then there are, you know, three different places that will, you know, are in the, you know, they're in the Hall of Fame of heart attacks. Exactly. Right? So <laughs> why don't like you do that? Mike. You know, having yeah. thought of if it fits your macros is great, but what is the downside of too much sugar, refined sugar at one time, and all those? I think I think people overstate all this flexi- flexible dime bullshit where it's yeah. okay. I'm, I'm going to take in 100 grams of carbohydrates each day, but it doesn't matter where I get those carbs from. That's a big mistake. Right yes, it does. It does, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> it does matter. It does matter whether you're taking in 100 or 200 or 50. It matters Look, man. a lot whether you're getting it from. Exactly. Yeah. There's a there's a difference between a couple of bowls of oatmeal equaling 200 grams of carbs compared to you having one Krispy Kreme donut, <laughs> you know, that has the same amount. <laughs> you know, hundred percent. It's my macros. And well, the other really thing have is, one Krispy Kreme donut. That's the question. Can you really just stop at one? You know, when it's sitting there, you have a dozen of them sitting right there. And I think what we get, what kind of alluding to what Vince was talking about, I think what would actually help is to actually not have those foods that are detrimental to your health within reach. So it's like if you know you're going to be busy, if you know you're going to be missing meals, you know, just and you, when you come home, try not to have those foods that will that'll trigger things like that's full of sugar and full of salt and, you know, and full of fat and soon as you like bite one or two you're going to keep going and you really can't stop because you starved yourself all day and now you've got that trigger going on in your brain that says more more we want more of this because hey you haven't given us any of this all day long but the brain just like i just need some fat i just need a little bit of sodium i just need some sugar but your taste buds are going nah we need a whole bag of right. chips. we need a whole bo- you know, box of donuts and so your brain and your tongue are having a conflict but meanwhile you're still shoving it down your throat while they're arguing with each other <laughs> 
And next thing you know, your stomach is the one that has to sit there and deal with the aftermath. Your stomach's like, you know what? Right. Everybody upstairs, I'm hurting down here. And so now the stomach and your butt's going at each other because now you're trying to decide how are we going to digest this? Do I throw up or do I hit the toilet? And so and right. next thing you know, and right. now you're popping pills like Tums and Rolaids or whatever else, like it's a junior mint, you know, or like Tic Tacs or something like that because now it's become your new normal. And Or if, or if you are on the toilet, it's... Now you're on the toilet and it feels like uh, it feels like a roller coaster ride because you exactly. got exactly like serious gut issues. It's like, it's like, it's like, do I have diarrhea or am I constipated? Well, it depends. You wait five more seconds, you have it. right? Because every five seconds, yeah, you'll you find out in a second. <laughs> you'll get to enjoy both. Throughout, you're gonna enjoy both throughout your day. Don't worry, you're gonna you're gonna get the the pleasure of having experiencing both each day. <laughs> now your stomach turns to a virtual stick shift. I mean, it's like. Come on. <laughs> So, and, but then again, you know, what happens five or ten years later, you're a hundred pounds. You, you don't know what happened. You know, you just it just all this has been going on consistently, and you just wake up one day you're like, whoa. Or one day you're at the doctor, and next thing you know, he's like, okay, you now have type two diabetes, and we have to put you on medication. And you're like, well, how did I get this way? <laughs> you know, and it's just pretty much all those things that we just mentioned. It just snuck right by you. You know. Yeah, um, right. I mean, and 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 part of a couple of things. Um, one is. Um, if you see, I've read Stephen Guinette's uh, book on um, hedonistic eating and food addiction. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, basically what you wind up doing with, because people will say to me sometimes, they'll go, wow, you don't really eat that. I go, well, I, I, I've tried to, try to not have that stuff in the house, but it, 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 it winds up here sometimes, right? But I know myself, okay? I get too hungry. I don't, it doesn't matter. I'm eating it. And I have pretty good willpower, and I know what I'm—I know what I'm supposed to be eating. But you know, like you said, since your brain takes over, man, and it's like, yeah, I'm just going to mow this down right now because I'm—I need it. And um, then, but what happens is, if you have these other foods that aren't so great, your body is 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 being programmed to say, this is the sensation I need to get from the food I eat, and then bland food doesn't taste so great. Or bland right, food. Right. So then that's they're like, right. oh, well, how do you real, handle it? Real food tastes bland now. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, like, you know, it's just like. How do you handle it? <laughs> it's like water. Water doesn't mean? excite you as much as the soda does. You know, I don't like to taste the water. I'm like, that is a problem. Okay, first of all, don't, you shouldn't even be tasting water. But it's just like, well, I, I need to have some type of flavor in my water, man. It's just like, you know. So and that's, that becomes a problem right there. Like, why, why should you have issues with something that 70% of your body is, is made of? <laughs> you know? So it shouldn't. Funny. No. No, you shouldn't. That's for sure. I think one thing that works well is to, one, like we were saying, you don't buy these foods, but if they are, if you do buy them every once in a while, not a big thing. But for someone who is trying to lose weight or has health issues and they want to cut these things out, one, you don't buy them. And two, when you walk into your kitchen, you should have stuff that's healthy right in your line of vision, such as you walk in the kitchen and there's almonds on the counter, there's oranges on the counter, there's apples over here. So those are the first things you see. And also those are the things that are easily accessible. Each time I walk in the kitchen and I want a snack or something, that's what I have. I have all these different nuts and seeds yeah. all over the place. So it's, it's, yeah, we should change that it's phrase. It's easy to grab. <laughs> yeah, you should change that phrase from you are what you eat to you are what you reach. <laughs> you know, so right. you know, whatever's easily accessible, you know, so make sure you, you set yourself up for success by having things accessible like boom, I can reach right there. Boom, there's a banana. You know, there's an apple. You know, there's some tea right there instead of just, you know, having a six pack of soda sitting right there as you open the fridge or something like that. So just little things like that, man. And, you know, it sounds so simple when someone's listening to this until you're that person that's dealing with, you know, it's, it's not the simple that people that are in trouble with this type of stuff that they're going through. It's not the simple. It's what's going on in that brain. It's that complex brain that they're dealing with and that connection. And what Vince just alluded to and what Mike often says, you know, it becomes this oral fixation with food. Yeah. And it's not even about health anymore. It's just like you said, it's become hedonistic. It's like this. It's just it's all about pleasure. It's not even about the health anymore. It's pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. How do I feel when I have this? This makes me feel like this. So it becomes this relationship with food, which I'm like, that's, that's, you shouldn't be having a relationship with food. That's kind of gross. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, there, there are certain places in Vegas where, you know, that might be okay, where you and food kind of get down like that. But, uh, you know, but no, not in this situation, not in your kitchen, man. You know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it could, it can manifest into just like anything that's overdone. We all have kind of vices, right? So yeah. we think of drugs or drinking too much or, you know, certain things. But what's more accessible than food? What's more sociable than going out and having food with friends? 
yeah. if you have a bad problem and you kind of understand what you're putting in your mouth, um, you, you're going to be at a very dis- big disadvantage, right? Because you're not even going to realize it. And I, I didn't tell you when I was growing up, uh, guys, I, I worked in restaurants in Vegas, right? So um, I'm very, I was very picky early on, right? Even when I was super like tiny, skinny guy, um, it was like, you mean that the potatoes that are baked are, they have Vegeline on them and, you know, they're dusted with, you know, granular salt until, you know, basically you could lick it off and you feel like it's, you know, you're licking a salt ball. Yeah. Um, this is the stuff they do in restaurants, right? And so you, exactly. you, if you're not aware of it, you're like, oh, yeah, that looks pretty good. You're like, yeah, I was sitting in an oil basket for a while, or it was. Yeah, that's the thing. You, know, you can just you can't tell. unsee you can't unsee that stuff. Like in high school, I worked at McDonald's, man, my sophomore year, and after that, you you can even pay me even back <laughs> then when I was young to eat at McDonald's again, and I would just shake my head when all my friends were like, oh, let's go to McDonald's. I'm like, nah, you don't want to do that. You know, it's like once you've seen, you can't unsee the things that happen there. Essentially, no. just like how the food's treated, where it comes from, what it looks like, what it doesn't do after months upon months of sitting out. It's just like, okay, that's just not back then. Even before the internet and seeing videos on YouTube, it's like, man, why is that patty's been sitting by the trash can for at least six months now, and that thing is not <laughs> decayed yet? And I remember that. First of all, I'm just laughing the fact that no one ever picked it up. It just sat there by the trash can all that all that time, you know. But then, like I said, six months later, that thing looked the exact same. And I, that just kind of like, you know what? You know, later for those quarter pounders, man, never again. It's just something's just not right about that. That's a decay. What kind of cow was that? <laughs> that it can right. that body could do that, man. It's just, Almost it's just, even a near cow. 15 years old, it didn't make sense to me. I was like, uh, I'm good, man. So, like I say, man, it just, you can't unsee those things when you work in that industry. And you, you, hopefully, you know, you'll just approach it differently. There's some people who just don't care. In fact, they won't eat at that restaurant they worked at. But, you know, they'll eat at other restaurants. I'm like, okay, not much change. It's the same industry. for them. And most yeah. of the food is coming from the right. same same places, the same companies, you know, right. those same big corporations. So what makes you think that you eating somewhere else is going to be different than where you work? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and then all that stuff adds up, right? So it's like, oh, I yeah. just went out to eat and I had this. And even if they think that's something that's fairly, um, you know, uh, not un- going to be unhealthy or high in calories, it's the sneakiness of the extra 250 calories. They're like, oh, yeah, I did good today. I did good today. And then, exactly. you know, God forbid they get on or the they starvation diet and everything else. Yeah. So, you know, you don't want to you don't want to eat a you won't eat at a buffet, you know, a regular buffet. But you'll go to Chamagacha, you know, or you'll go to Fogo to Chow and you'll go to a churrascaria and you eat all you don't know, have a meat buffet. But, you know, the That's fact right. that they're charging you they're charging you $60 for that makes you feel like, well, this meat is better quality than the Chinese buffet. He's like, no, it's not. <laughs> it's just like right. it's still the same, the same crappy food. <laughs> it's just they dress it up a lot better. But just because you put a bow on a pile of crap doesn't make that crap anything less than a pile of crap. It just has a bow in it. And first of all, you got to ask who stuck the bow in it. That was, that was pretty gross. So, yeah, yeah right. it's crazy. Well, the problem with restaurants is this. One, the philosophy is let's create the lowest cost product and sell it at the highest amount possible so we have yeah. a great profit. Yeah. And then two, they're taking into account the average person who has to have this over-the-top taste experience. Otherwise, they're going right. to say it's bland, just like we were talking about. Like the meals yeah. I eat at home, I don't think they're bland. But someone else right. who ate them probably would think they're bland. Like I think fruits are sweet. Other people have to put sugar on exactly. their fruits. For it to be, yeah, otherwise, so crazy. They yeah. it, otherwise they don't taste it at all. <laughs> so that's the challenge: is getting your taste buds sensitized again because they've become so desensitized from years and years and years of these over-the-top food experiences. Well, and that is their new not normal. Even yeah, even the seasons they're using, like they're not using just regular salt. They're using MSG, which is going to trigger your brain in a different way than regular table salt would or even pink sea salt would. You know, or, you know, they're going to have like the high fructose corn syrup and all the different corn syrups. And, you know, they have all the artificial sugars instead of actually having just sugar because there are parts of our brains just with regular sugar. Like, OK, we've had enough. You need to stop eating this now. It's just like, OK, now we're getting thirsty. Now we're starting to get sweats. It's time to stop eating all this sugar. Whereas with all these artificial sweeteners, you can keep going and going and 
fucking going. With MSG, just right. sitting there, even though you're dying of thirst, you refuse to drink water, and you, you continue to keep consuming whatever it is, and it, you just can't stop because it just triggers something in your head. And I used to think that you know MSG was just only you know limited just like the Asian restaurants, but then you start getting now a lot of American restaurants have learned the secret, and they're starting to put it in their foods. They're starting to put it with their hamburgers. They're starting to put it with their soups. And starting to put it with their gumbos and things like that. And it, it's just so crazy because they know it, it's just something about that sensation, you know, and that taste. It's like, oh, my God, it's a season so well. Whereas regular pink sea salt, people think, well, that's not enough. You, you know, right. where's the salt? Like, dude, just put a pile of pink sea salt on that thing. You can't taste that? Nah, man, there's not enough salt on this. It's like, wow, your taste buds are officially dead at this point, man. So That's right. But, yeah, they, they but that's what keeps people coming back. And people have that yeah. experience. Like, man, they season their food so well. They don't say that the food is actually good or makes them feel good. They start just always talking about how they season the food. So and that's always right there. That, that's a red flag right there. So what would happen if it didn't have all that stuff on it? Would you enjoy it? Would you go there? Then, you know, if you say no, then you should really rethink, you know, why you're consuming their food. And what do they put well, that, well, that's why training is such an important part of fat loss. People always say fat loss yeah. is more what you eat than working out, and that's true. But what they don't, what the part they realize that's really important is that when you work out, in particular, you're training for performance. Food matters a lot. You eat a crappy diet, you're going to have a crappy performance, and you're going to realize real fast that your diet is is not optimal. So when you optimize your diet, all of a sudden you have a great performance in the gym. Your workouts are more consistent. Your gains are more consistent. Your energy is better. You realize these things all fast. For someone who's just dieting and they're not exercising in particular, training for performance, they don't realize as quickly to those of us that do how their diet is affecting them. And you shift, and, and there's a shift because once you're training for performance, that, that whole focus on the food's taste and it has to be this, 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 and that. Trust me, it's still, you still want food to taste good. You still want it to be palatable or whatever. But you focus on that a lot less when you think about performance. It's kind of like, you know, even with certain supplements, I know there are some supplements that I have. As soon as you open up the bottle, it's like, gosh, like, you know, those perk vitamins I take, they smell like complete ass. But I know once I take them, it's like I know they actually work compared to somebody that's probably taking all these gummy vitamins, which is funny to me that adults are taking those, but that's the only way they can stomach vitamins. But I'm like, look at how much sugar is in those things. Look how many, all these food colorings and all these other things. I'm like, dude, are you serious right now? You're a grown-ass man. That's a sign of the time. That's a sign of the time. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, when I see these commercials like, you know, gummy vitamins for men, I'm like, no, they're not. That's why you need to change that title. Okay, that's, that's, not, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that's for a little kid. Yeah, man. Tampon, tampons for men is coming next. Same aisle. You know? <laughs> right. But uh, <clears throat> I, I, I remembered something when you mentioned uh, you like uh, eat, having that nice big meal makes you relax and all that. Um, right. Right. Mike, the um, there was a book, uh, Fix Your Fat Thermostat. Or the fat thermostat many years ago. I can't remember what decade it was, but I think it was the eighties. And uh, mm-hmm. um, and I was reading every diet book you could get my hands on because I was doing the bodybuilding thing. And the um, this book talked about fiber and fullness and other things. It basically talked about the the physical uh, and the, the mechanistic uh, signaling uh, system that is involved in eating till you're um, full and and eating till you're not full. Over and over, if you eat and, like, push away the plate, that's great. But there's nerves in your gut and stuff that say, when you're full, it signals the brain, I'm not really starving. I'm really, I'm doing great. I'm full. It, it's another level of uh, satisfaction mentally and physically because there's other hormones that get released. And the author recommended, like, going to get a bunch of vegetables, steaming them up, and just, like, eat a pound of vegetables. It will fill you up. Yeah. Uh, keep Whenever, you know, do that, like, once, you know, every other day. And I wound up doing it when I was dieting. I would do it once a day where I could actually fill up till I felt like I was going to pop. But the calories are so low, it wasn't even funny, right? It wasn't like eating a bunch of bran. Right. But it was, it, it was mixed vegetables. and just steamed and you just eat them and, and you know, it's, it's not easy to eat all that. And you, you really are full <laughs> and it, it gives you this sensation that, wait a minute, I'm not really starving. Am I? It helps a lot. It's just some of these things that we forget because they were necessary uh, or, you know, in, in the past, right. You, you've got to 
a kill or you got some food, so you ate as much as you could because you didn't know when you're getting the next pat, uh, right. bit. So those signaling mechanisms were set up to go, okay, I'm going to be fine. And, you know, I think a lot of people, look how dense calories are with these foods and these different kind of restaurant plates, right? Jeez, I mean, you don't even get full. If you get full on some of this restaurant food, you got to have 10,000 calories. I mean, you got to have a lot. I know for me, because I, I don't have a light appetite, but I, you know, you can't, how do we get full? You, right? You just, it's just a bunch of sensations. Definitely not yeah, like the full the stomach receptors you? is yeah, exactly. like you were saying, the stomach receptors are totally overlooked where if it were just calories, then you could have a cup of olive oil. That's thousands of calories, right? And you would be <laughs> right. full. I mean, you're probably going to be running to the bathroom very quickly, but before that happens, <laughs> right. you would be full. But the reality is you're not even full because the stomach receptors haven't been activated. You just took in a bunch of liquid calories. Well, it's right. like it was just a bunch of it's just it was a big pleasure party. It was like it's just a food orgy in your mouth. It's like, oh, this roll it has butter on it. They just brought the bread first. And like, oh, here's the appetizer. And then it's like, oh, here's the main course. Oh, what's, what's up with dessert? <laughs> oh, can I get a drink with that? How about an alcohol? You want to finish off with some wine? So you've had like all these different sensations happening in your mouth, man. It's just like, and your stomach's just sitting there, like once again, like, all right, seriously, up there, can you guys calm the hell down? You know, well, okay. And next thing you know, you're sitting there and. Five seconds later, you're like Mike always says, you're passing gas on command, you know, just and you wonder why. Right. <laughs> you can't understand why. And then an hour later, you're hungry again, and you've just spent like a hundred and something dollars on a on a meal, and you're starving. You're like, well, what just happened? Why am I hungry again? I just spent 150 bucks. Well, now not only are you hungry, so is your bank account. So you're both starving right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, if you, eat too, if you eat too many sweets, you know, insulin out, outlasts blood sugar. So that's yeah. why yeah. you get a drop, and you're like, okay, I'm on the roller coaster. I got to eat some more. You know, now you're on the thing that only ends when you sleep. You're going to have to exactly. <laughs> you just have to tap out. You're like, you know what? I can't eat. I'm just sick of eating. I just want to take a nap now. And then you wake up and start all over again. It just becomes well, you wake up and you're, you're, you're starving from having these insulin yeah. surges all day long that are driving down your glucose. Like Vince said, you eat something, your insulin spikes up. It drives all the <laughs> carbohydrates, the glucose out of your bloodstream. Now you're hungry again. Insulin spikes, drives it all out. Now you're hungry again, and you just get stuck on this roller coaster. And then on top of that, how good was that sleep that you just had when your stomach was trying to digest all that crap you just ate? You know, the sleep wasn't even optimal. So then it becomes another snowball effect happening. Right. Well, that was one of the first arguments about, like, not eating before bed. The reason, the mm -hmm. rationale was the typical diet raise your insulin enough to blunt GH in your sleep. Right. That's right. the reason. Yeah. You guys probably knew that, right? So. Yeah, it wasn't necessarily not eat a protein meal or a protein shake or something like that. It was basically don't eat your regular meal and with no with no exercise component that basically causes the need for that sugar to be pulled out of the blood and stored in a muscle. I mean, one of the things I tell people all the time, they're like, why do you weight train? I go, I'm draining my sugar bag so I can eat some carbs because <laughs> everything's going to become glucose. It's a carb. And, I, and, you know, even some protein, obviously. So if I don't do something to cause a need, where's it going to go? It has nowhere else to go. Yeah. So um, that's why the exercise thing is so powerful. You know, a little knowledge of diet and exercise goes, it's miraculous. It doesn't have to be ridiculous, yeah, right? For, for improving, yeah, for improving insulin sensitivity, leptin sensitivity, intense training such as sprinting. Yeah. 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 I, I was never good at the um, marathon, marathon workouts. I've done the volume stuff, but I, I, my rest period is so low, so short, uh -huh. um, that it's like I'm doing a modified circuit almost all the time, and. I was basically doing that even when I was still bodybuilding at the end. It's kind of a the Vince Gironda technique. Yeah, right. More work, less time. Yeah. And, um, you know, he was one of the first guys that said do 10 sets of 10. Yeah, exactly. German volume training. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You know, yeah, yeah. Is that the eight, way you train? That's the way you, that's the way you train right now, Vince? This is the way you train now? That's the way I train. Like, I might pick a movement and just do eight sets or six. You know, it just depends on my move. But then, yeah, mm -hmm. I'll... Uh, I, I, I basically try to get as much work in, in the shortest amount of time without lifting sissy weight. Um, 
you know, I try to lift weight that is, it's moderate enough where I can go explosive and the acceleration isn't so fast that you throw a joint out, right? So you can use yeah. compensatory acceleration yeah. training, but um, it's not so light that it's ridiculous. It's, it's, it's a good weight you can move with high speed uh, and then you can't, you know, focus on the lowering, uh, obviously more so, but, um, yeah, you could, you could damage yourself pretty good that way. And, um, it works pretty good. I, I, I like to, I get bored in there sometimes, right? If I'm going to a typical gym, if I'm out, I, I love sprinting, uh, and I like some of the functional moves like, you know, for me, kettlebells, um, which if you guys remember, you remember Mike, you know, the training piece in the supplement review was Pavel and I having yeah. a discussion. Yeah. Yeah. I think and, that um, was one of the, that was one of the first introductions of Pavel, I believe, to the muscle media audience. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My a colleague at Flex said they weren't going to publish him. They said, would you look at his stuff? And immediately I'm like, this guy's <laughs> over the top. Um, still very good friends with, with him. He's, He's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet, and uh, talk about knowledge! Wow. Yeah, that was a, that was a really good interview with him, and I remember that it was it was a very extensive interview too. Yeah, no, I learned a lot from him, and 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 and, and even some of the stuff where he said, you know, leave one in the can. Um, right. You know, intensity is great, but it could cause a lot of over overreaching. You're better off doing some. You know, even that's, the, you know, strength. Yeah, that's the most. And when I think of Pavel, that's the yeah. first thing that comes to mind is that exactly. leave a little bit in the bank because that is so counterintuitive to the way the average guy in particular trains. Yeah, going to failure. The average guy, you know, well, they, like, they don't go. They don't just go to failure. They go. They go beyond failure. Right? I mean, yeah, like, they, they like, fail. You ever you ever spotted a guy in a gym where the first rep they fail, but they amen. they want to keep going. <laughs> yeah. Man, if, if you're not dying, you're not trying, man. That's <laughs> right, right. Oh yeah. This whole notion of rep. Yeah, but the whole notion of if you can do 10 reps, but you stop at eight, people are like, well, I feel like those those two up to 10 are the most benefit. I go, no, those two up to 10 is where your form's going to break down and you're not you're not going to be in the pocket as you were in the first eight. There's a lot to be said about just leave a little bit behind. Leave on that success. You're going to last a lot longer. I go, it's not what you can do. It's how long you can last. And that kind of training will allow you to last way longer. You can max out every once in a while, push it hard, but not every single workout. No, no. And, you know, um, Pavel brought that concept. He would just see, you know, he'd say, comrade, leave one in the can, right? And I was like, huh? He's like, you know, strength <laughs> athletes do it. You know, they don't put a failure. Are you kidding? Uh, and that's why he was, you know, a proponent of Arnold. Not that Arnold didn't go to failure, but it's like it's the accumulative damage that makes your muscles bigger and even yeah. stronger, right? If you do fights to five, it's not like you could do – uh, you could barely do five, right? You, it's hard to do five, but it's not like you're, it's not light and it's not your max, right? It's, um, you know, it, it, like Bill Starr, five by five. And, um, but, uh, what was I going to say? Well, I mean, I always say one thing that adding on your thought here is, okay, let's say you work up to deadlifting 500 pounds three times and then you never do it again. That is a different benefit than someone who works up to it, but can continue to do it. For 10 years. So let's say you're 25, you can deadlift 500 pounds three times. You're 35, you can still do it three times. You're 45, you can still do it. So that's decades of that strength accumulating over time. You're not necessarily lifting more, but the ability, you're, you're sustaining that strength over a longer period of time, which has benefits in and of itself that people often forget about. So forget about what you can just do once and never again. Think about what you can do and keep doing. Right, and that's one of the things that uh, psychologically probably hard for people to uh, to get their mind around, right? Because the, the whole lifting is, you know, do more, do more. But if you think about, you know, going from decade to decade, being able to do the same is quite a feat yeah, in and of itself. It is. Right? I mean, it's amazing. And I was going to say um, Fred Hatfield's book, Scientific Approach to Powerlifting and Bodybuilding, both of those talked about um, – like a thinking man's approach to training, right? And he would call, uh, you know, Pavel said heavy in mechanisms, right? Your goal's eye tension. Basically, when you fail, you train not to fail. That's why you leave one in the can, right? Because if you're training to fail, your 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 heavy in mechanisms are always on alert to go. Wait a minute, I, I, I not one more, because that's what will stop you. 
and um, Hatfield used to call it uh, success begets success. Yeah. Why fail? Because you're training your mind that you do fail. Build on success. So, um, and I think we've all probably overdone it. And um, certainly training harder is better, but there's definitely a limit. Well, Charles, Charles Poliquin has a good way of doing reps. Charles Poliquin, if the rep goes bad in terms of technique, it's a no count. So you're doing five sets of the bench press. Let's say, let's say on the sixth rep, your butt comes off the bench, no count. So there's no point continuing on because you're not going to count those reps. When you do your training journal, guess what? Those reps aren't in there. So you might as well uh, just stop at five where your butt was still on the bench and you weren't bouncing the bar off your chest because everything beyond that where the form started deteriorating, those don't count. That's awesome. Well, if you but can't but, do it but, right, but, but see, right, but see how many people are actually applying this. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Vince. Go ahead. <clears throat> no, you're right, though. You know, they're not applying it. And, I, you know, I used to talk, I think in the supplement <laughs> review, we talked about um, a typical guy, let's say three guys rotating on a bench, right? They know they got to get 300, right? So they warm up 135. You could all do it. Um, they immediately go to 175 or 225. And a couple guys are doing it really with good form, and some may be struggling at the end. They immediately got to go to 225 or higher. It just depends on how big the guys are. And you wind up having like one work set out of five. Because the last three are like, you know, Joe spot me and the first one at first rep, they, can, they can't even do the first one. So, but they told their friends they bring 300. <laughs> right. and, and it's just like, did you do any work? It's like, I, I've seen guys, if you want a cosmetic effect, especially, if, and, and even strength, that's just, you're joking. But you see the guy in the corner that's like adding 2.5 pounds to each side of the bar. He's making gains. Yeah. He's meticulously yeah. thinking about what he's using weights to build his strength and muscles. He's not getting there to like put some number on a on, on a piece of paper that is really not legitimate. And those are the guys that are the scariest like in bodybuilding. I was never in the strength uh, competitions, but the bodybuilders like that, they're scary. Mm. Because they're in the corner, you know, adding a little bit eating one less, you know, two less grams, you know, they're meticulous with their, with their diet. They land it like a plane. They don't crash land it like a lot of guys do or gals, right? And so it's more of this control. And Hatfield talked about it is that if you're playing a sport, if you were in more of a skill position, you'd have a little more nuance. But if you're a lineman, you know, the ball snaps, you smash a dude. It's a different thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's not to say there's not tons of thinking in that and in, in being alignment. That was his analogy though, right? Be a thinker through this. Like, what are you really trying to get out of this? And, um, instead of going in there, it's almost like, um, uh, it's some kind of show, um, <laughs> for a lot of people. And, and don't get me wrong. I mean, I think just going to the gym is great because most people really aren't even going to show up, but. Well, I like, I like they, that they, question you just asked. Like, what are you trying to do? Because whenever I see a lot of people training, that's often what I ask myself. I mean, I'm like, what are you trying to do? Like, I saw this kid doing bent over rows, and it was, it was more like some gyrating motion where, I mean, there was no control whatsoever. It was just his back was coming up like 10 inches on each rep. There's no control of the negative, And he's lifting way more weight. I mean, he had like 225, 230, which is not even that much weight, but for this guy, it was clearly too much. And I'm sitting there thinking, what are you trying to do? Because if your goal is to get bigger, using a lot less weight and actually controlling it, that's what's going to get you there. If your goal is to get stronger, same thing. <laughs> Use a lot of weight and control it without gyrating all over the place. That's going to get you there. So there's no benefit of lifting this weight the way you are. It looks terrible. It's not going to impact your physique in a positive way. Right. And you're not going to be stronger. So what's the point? Yeah, I, 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 I luckily for me, I guess I wasn't super strong so you got get into that game of like i can do xyz um i always got better gains from kind of thinking it through um you know so that's my body type i guess but and actually i like to to know i like to feel like i'm getting some work done that's why i like the less rest but um and sprinting and things like that but um yeah, I mean, that's the other thing, you know, the guys off topic here, but, you know, the guys that, that want to do the big bench, it's like, you know, it's just a 15-minute wait, you know. They all go to the 
water fountain five times. It's like, dude, <laughs> how much you lift for how many reps is is, 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 is an equation based on time. If yeah. you leave time out of the equation and one guy comes in and rests a minute or, two, or 90 seconds and you're in there 15, it's not the same ball game. Right, right. So you you got to lock your variables in. Is one of your variables going to be keep the same weight but reduce the rest between sets? That's the one method. Right? There's yeah. a lot of ways to do it. Um, yeah. Instead of, I'll just spend the whole day trying to get my 300. <laughs> so I did that. But, um, yeah, to each his own anyway. But I mean, uh, and, I'm all, I, and I love lifting heavy weights, and I still lift – I still focus on lifting heavier, but I don't compromise technique. And that's something I learned a long time ago through the course of getting injured from using poor technique. Nothing serious, but you realize real fast, you're not going to be able to sustain this performance. If you're bouncing the bar off your chest and your butt is so far off the bench that a Mack truck could drive below you, you know, that's, (laughs) you're only going to be able to sustain that performance for so long, you know, and it doesn't look good either. You know, I don't, I don't want to just lift something heavy. I want it to look good when I do it. I want someone walking by and be like, wow, you made a be sure to tune into our next episode as we get into part two with our discussion with Vince as we talk more in depth about all the supplements that have come and gone in the past since Vince first started his article over 15 years ago, actually about 20 years ago, and what he sees in the future of the supplement business going forward. All that and more on the next LLA Show with Sincere Hogan and Mike Mahler.